Hey guys, welcome back to the Revive Stronger podcast. I'm your host, as always, Steve Hall, and today I have Chris Berkat back on the show. We're reflecting on his season, lessons learned, talk a bit about stage lighting, peak week, all the juicy detail and goss. You're going to want to listen to this. Guys, as always, if you enjoy these episodes, please do share the episodes, comment, like, subscribe, all that good stuff, depending on the platform you're on. We appreciate your support and we want to get as much awareness about this content as possible. But without further ado, let's get into the show. Hi guys, welcome to the Revive Stronger podcast. I'm your host, as always, Steve Hall, and I have Chris Barakat back on the show. I was just looking back at when was Chris last on, to episode 262, which... I was thinking it can't have been long since Chris has been on because we were just talking about his prep and I was like, actually, like contest prep is 20 plus weeks for most yeah. people and it's been 20 plus weeks. Uh, so yeah, uh, how are you feeling, Chris? I know we were just saying off air that like you've just been all over the shop since the season ended for you. Yeah, I'm feeling good yeah. overall, um, like at least physically and stuff, but November was just insane. Like every weekend I was traveling literally every weekend. So there was minimal routine. And then I'm finally getting back into the swing of things. I guess the best thing is I haven't been upset or I haven't like been chasing any sort of performance or physique goal at the moment. I'm kind of just letting things come to me. So at least I'm not creating this external pressure of getting to the gym X amount of times per week or like having some unrealistic goal in that sense. So I'm just focused on other areas and letting the training kind of flow the way it needs to, but not really chasing anything there. But you're a pro now. Like you have to do everything. <laughs> so those who don't know, Chris did turn pro this season. I know we spoke on, on air and you were like, you've got the physique to go pro. And now it's just about kind of letting the cards fall where they may and and achieving that and you did in a really spectacular way which we'll definitely talk about uh I don't, I don't know where it's nice to start chatting actually uh I almost was going to start talking about what your post-show period had been like we just had Jeff Alberts on talking about the recovery diet you're obviously in that moment now and you just spoke about it I don't know if was this been different I guess the whole contest prep has actually been quite probably quite different for you and in a good yeah. way um so what was let's talk about that recovery like the post-show period what's that been like for you yeah the post-show period has been really interesting um believe it or not I'm only up like I'm up six pounds from my lowest weigh-in like ever but I'm only up like three to four pounds from like stage weight um but my composition isn't like as good as the three to four pounds above the stage weight. I'm definitely like a little bit flatter, um, but I'm, I'm still too lean. It's just my hunger signals and my biofeedback is kind of just like letting, letting me settle here. Um, and because I'm not chasing those performance goals, I'm not intentionally eating in a massive surplus, but I'm by no means restricting at all. I'm not tracking. I haven't tracked at all since, since show day. Um, but yeah, I, I feel good. I'm still a little too lean in the face. I don't like the diet face. Um, my, my heels still hurt a little bit. Like I know I need to gain a little bit more fat on the bottom of my feet and stuff, but, um, yeah, I feel, I feel good overall. I'm just kind of, like I said, letting things come to me. Um, the way I kind of handled prep was very intuitive. Um, and the way I'm handling this post show has been very intuitive, but I think just having the experience, um, and not really attaching myself to any sort of expectation has really helped this post show period. So yeah. this is your fourth, fourth season. Is that right? Or fifth, fourth season. Fourth season. Um, yeah, fourth season. And then like, it was my decade in the sport, so to speak. So it was it was amazing, man. It was cool. I know. I think it's to auto-regulate, as people probably know, like hear about that during training, for example. We all know to be able to correctly auto-regulate, you need lots of experience. And likewise, post-show, I think most people need like a probably quite a structured plan, especially like first-time competitors. But once you get more and more experience, as I'm learning as well as this was my third season, I'm getting better at, 
listening almost to those biofeedback cues and being like, I don't need to like chase on 10% of body weight if I'm feeling good. But likewise, if I need more than 10% to feel good, like maybe I need more. So it's kind of, and, and that's what we spoke about with Jeff. So it's cool to hear that actually you haven't tracked and yeah. like that hasn't led to massive overindulgences, but you also know that you, you don't need to because like you said, the diet fatigue, when we're considering like food focus, hunger, appetite, energy levels, like you're in a, you're yeah. in a good spot, which I mean, a lot of people are going to hear that. I feel jealous of you, but that that's yeah. awesome. That's, that's good. Yeah. I never understood it. Honestly, when I was younger and seeking information from some really experienced veterans in the sport or some really evidence-based people, um, I would always be confused with the veterans that say they didn't follow a strict diet and they went by feel or a lot of these OGs kind of just made diet changes, not on a week by week basis, but like midweek or day to day. And all that stuff seemed really, um, to me, it seemed really messy or unpredictable. And I guess it can be in a way, but then I guess as time went on, I started adopting more of those auto-regulated um, intuition, like gut feedback kind of calls. And now I'm kind of floating through that phase where, yeah, I kind of just feel like I know what I need to do when I need to do it. And I just like trust that intuition. And then that's how the whole prep was. Like I never gave myself, um, or I was never overly strict about hitting exact numbers. Like there's probably no day the entire prep where I nailed like 50 fat, 250 carb, 225 protein, like on the money. Whereas in the past it was like super, super strict to the T to the gram. So yeah, I guess the same way that the prep has varied, this post prep has also varied. Um, and the cool thing is it's kind of stress-free. Like there's no, there's no pressure on my back right now. So it feels good in that sense. Yeah. I guess an important caveat is I think a lot of people here, like, I don't know, going to almost like an intuitive eating approach, but mindful and educated and like you're consuming a lot of, and I, I seen, I saw some of your Instagram stories where you're like, still had a good foundational diet. It wasn't like you yeah. just went, yeah, post show, I'm just eating wherever the hell I want because that yeah. would lead to rapid fat gain. Cause your hunger signaling and everything's out of whack when you kind of go to super palatable foods too quickly, but you've kept a lot of the, the same habits in place. Yeah. Yeah. Same habits. Like first thing in the morning, meal one is usually like a, a fruit smoothie. Um, it's pretty voluminous, pretty filling. Um, generally like low glycemic sources that keep me satiated for a while and stuff like that. So yeah, same habits as prep. Um, but it's, it's interesting. Like last night I had some low fat ice cream and I know like I only had like three protein feedings that day, which is very unlike, very unlike me kind of always have four to five. And like, if it was, if I was like taking the, the training super serious, like I definitely would have had like a fourth protein feeding before going to sleep, but I kind of just got exhausted, passed out on the couch, woke up, went to bed. Whereas in the past, like I would wake up from passing out on the couch slam a protein shake and then go to bed. <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm saying? But I've just been, I've been a bit more flexible. Um, it's definitely not the way I would like coach a client by any means. Um, but there is differences in expectation and differences in rigidity versus flexibility for different clients. So um, like one example I could think of off the top of my head that kind of just distinguishes between like extreme structure and not extreme structure is one of my high, highest level clients. Uh, she actually just won world championships uh, figure Shannon Kelly. Like she has on reach. She, yeah. awesome. <laughs> she freaking smashed it. So happy for her. Um, just to give an example of like rigidity versus flexibility. Um, she has three structured training days on her split where like she's tracking exercise and load. And then there's three other days where she just goes in the gym and freestyles it. Um, and like, she's a vet, she's a pro, she's a champ. Like she knows she can go based off of feel, but I wouldn't do that with a, a client that's a novice or an intermediate. Like they're going to have their specific training day with their specific movements to progress on. But, you know, there's different levels of flexibility and then same thing on the nutrition side, you know, some people might have ranges, some people might have a very specific target. 
some people might have much bigger ranges. Um, some people might just have protein calories on and so forth. Right. So we kind of juggle, um, how rigid or how flexible we need to be based on where that person's currently at. Yeah. Completely agree. I think it's, it's kind of, yeah, the more experienced someone is, the more as a coach, you can also trust that they know what they need and what they're doing there. Yeah. And you can actually coach them better that way where you can have a dynamic conversation where it isn't like, coaches orders because they don't have a clue what they're doing <laughs> like sure. when someone is more new to this sort of thing they can't they don't really have the experience of the various hunger cues or the training experience and what like soreness is versus recovery versus like various aspects so that's really cool yeah that and yeah. i i agree as a coach it almost is a disservice when you have a high level athlete that knows themselves really well if you do handhold them too much you kind of hold them back because yes. in many ways they know they know themselves better than you can possibly know them. They're in their body. For sure. Yeah, it needs to be that two-way street, <clears throat> especially for those higher level people. Um, but yeah, another thing that just pops to mind too is a lot of people ask me like, why were you super flexible with your calorie intake or why weren't you so rigid? Um, and one of my explanations is is pretty simple. And it's like, all right, let's just say our caloric target is 2,500 calories. And we have very specific macros that take us to that target. Um, our caloric expenditure isn't going to be exactly the same every day. Um, even if we're tracking steps, right? Like we're going to expend more calories on our leg day compared to our push day or whatever it may be. So if our caloric expenditure is definitely, you know, varying from zero to 300 calories on a daily basis, why are you going to freak out if your caloric intake is off by 70 or, or whatever? Like, is it even off? Like as long as I knew I was in a deficit and as long as it was, I was making the progress I wanted to week to week, I was cool with it. So yeah, it, it felt good to take that step back, not be as rigid as I needed to be in the past, but I guess it's kind of just the evolution of each individual process over time. And again, it doesn't mean that my coaching methods are going to change at all. It just gives me a little bit more experience to pass on to more experienced athletes. Yeah. No, yeah. I, I, I can completely kind of, I see eye, <clears throat> eye to eye on that completely. Uh, and it, it makes a lot of sense. I think it's when you first get into this, you kind of have a bit of black and white thinking. You think like energy in versus energy out. And it's a perfect yeah. like world and everything. And then as you, the more you learn, the more you realize I there's no point me being that precise because I can't be that precise. Yeah. Uh, so obviously you don't want to go crazy and just like, oh yeah, this day I'm going to go and have a three course meal at wherever it is. Yeah. Uh, but there's no point being kind of thick because you think you've hit a certain number of calories. You may not have even hit that amount. <laughs> like sure. you don't actually even know. Um, so to, I'm glad we covered like the post-show period because I think that was interesting, but let's, let's start at the beginning. So, um, so the listeners know what was your starting weight if you know kind yeah. of when you started prep and what was your like lowest low for sure so um my my high was around 183 pounds um and i started prep right on may 1st i was maintaining 183 for quite a while i think i was maintaining anywhere from 180 to 186 from december january of oh nice yeah, like December of 2020, January of 2021, all the way through May. So I was like holding that heavy weight for kind of a pretty long period of time. And then I started cutting May 1st. Um, and then my lowest low of the entire prep was 157. And that was like okay. a very depleted um, weigh-in during peak week. That was the lowest I got. The lowest I was consistently weighing towards the tail end was like 159 and a half. And... Uh, I think my absolute best look was anywhere between uh, 159, 161, you know, between the combination of full and dry and the whole nine. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. yeah. So like 26 pounds lost um, total. And it was a similar number of weeks to pounds lost, wasn't it? It was like just it over. Was. Yeah, it was. Yeah. I can't I think, think what that was. But. I think it was around 26, 26 weeks or so. My first show of the season um, was probably 20 weeks or something like that of a diet. Um, and I 
definitely didn't hit as low. I think I hit like 161 and then I hit like a 159 during peak week. Um, but my, my look totally changed from late September of show one to very beginning of November for show three, like body weight was super similar, uh, even the same depending on the day, but the look was totally different. And the body composition results that I got like via DEXA scan was drastically different. So it was, it was really cool. Like that, that was my favorite phase of the entire prep. And the listeners are now, and I am, and I know you did a post on on Instagram talking about what you did in that period yeah. of time to kind yeah. of get that look. And I think, yeah, explain it. Cause I think sometimes uh, on the Instagram post, it might people be a bit confused because you like it, but yeah, put it in your simplest terms, basically. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I actually like I pull up the post super quick just to make sure I have my numbers right and everything like that. But I forget all of them as well. <laughs> yeah. People ask me, I'm like, uh, I don't know. Yeah, I got to really pull this up. But to to kind of recap, like what happened was going into my first show um, when I was around, I was around six weeks out. I just came back from a trip in California. I took a vacation uh, with my wife hung out with my buddy Ishak and stuff out there. And then um, I came back and I was like, damn, I'm behind. I'm like, this six weeks out look would be like great for 10 weeks out and like acceptable for eight weeks out. And I'm like, this is not good for six weeks out. So I kind of had to go pedal to the metal um, from six weeks out to one week out. And I probably lost a little bit of tissue during that time and still didn't get like, fully fully peeled you know i was like i was happy with the package i brought to the stage because i brought new levels of muscularity to the stage compared to 2017 much better symmetry better posing and stuff like that but my conditioning wasn't like acceptable to me like i wasn't super happy with it i shouldn't say acceptable if it wasn't acceptable i wouldn't have stepped on stage um but it wasn't like what i, I would kind it. of expect of myself so to speak um, but that was a, that was a good experience. And then from there, I spoke to a couple of like veterans in the sport, good friends of mine. And I was getting feedback from a lot of different people and everyone told me like, Hey man, you got to lose another like four to five pounds. And I was like, eh, I don't, I don't know if I have to, I was like, I have to lose four to five pounds of fat, but I don't feel like I need to focus on the scale weight. And I'm really happy. I kind of just listened to my gut and didn't listen to a lot of the voices in my, in my ear because I could have easily just continued dieting harder and I would have just lost more muscle and not brought my, my best physique. So what I ended up doing was, um, I started eating at theoretical maintenance on my training days instead of being in a deficit. So I actually increased my calories by like three to 500 calories per day, like immediately, like I didn't reverse to that. I kind of just, just did it. I went from like 22, 2300 calories on training days, like right up to like 2700 calories on training days. Um, and then on my non training days, I kept it super aggressive, where I basically were just doing protein, veg, fat, um, like really, really aggressive deficit, probably like 1700 calories. Um, and what ended up happening was training performance was great. I started looking fuller again. Um, I started like matching my off-season PRs, like started kind of regaining strength in some lifts and uh, I continued losing fat mass. So I have a, I have the data in front of me, one DEXA at exactly 162.4 pounds compared to another DEXA at the same exact body weight showed five and a five and a half pounds of fat mass reduction and three pounds of lean mass gained. So it was like a really nice recomposition effect that occurred, you know, towards the VR and the prep, um, when I was able to bring food up on training days and just stay in a deficit on non-training days. Was that, would your weekly average have been higher as well than calorie wise? Like those aggressive deficit days didn't go so aggressive. You, your weekly average dropped to the yeah. same. My weekly average was higher than yeah. before, but like net, I was still in a deficit. Yeah. 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 I, I, I think the, the, like you managed to I think that's the the take home to me is for that is like pushing harder isn't always the answer. Like you have to consider all factors and in bodybuilding, I know you had a post on this as well. It's good for people to remember. It's like 
people think about prep and they just think fat loss but muscle yeah. retention is part of fat loss uh, yeah. because otherwise if you're just going for fat loss and you're not considering muscle you, i mean you could end up just lo- or weight loss rather you could end yeah. up losing like precious tissue that you've built in the off season that's going to show in your look so 100 percent you managed to have the time to taper the deficit and you knew that you had the time to bring that condition uh like it speaks for itself the fact that you yeah. managed to bring that overall better look and better package and the training performance came up so thanks uh, man yeah it's 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 hard because when you are self-coaching especially when you reach out to a lot of different people it can be hard to keep your head screwed on and you can yeah. doubt yourself and yeah it's sometimes you're looking for confirmation of what you're thinking but then it's like am i have i got my head screwed on right <laughs> should i make yeah. this call so the fact that it worked out in that way it's that's fantastic. Yeah, man. Thanks. And it's something I found really interesting is I personally don't worry about muscle loss too much during contest preps. Like I feel like that's a huge fear of a lot of people. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I just feel like I don't see it that much with my clients. Like I don't see a significant amount of muscle loss with a lot of my clients. I do see it with some, um, but I just feel like if we manage our variables really well that shouldn't be such a large fear going into prep um but it's interesting because i looked at some of the case study data that we do have on natural bodybuilders and one study that i'm looking at that you know an individual lost 14.5 pounds of lean mass throughout their prep which is insane to me and then another individual lost 19 pounds of lean mass throughout their prep um and then when i compared my DEXA data, I only lost like, let me get the exact numbers. I did lose a little bit of lean mass from start to finish. Um, but I think it was like three pounds. And that probably has to do with other tissue too. It's not just, yeah. you know, it's not just skeletal muscle because I took, fortunately, I was able to do a, a case study on this and I took muscle thickness measurements of my quads, my pecs, my biceps. Um, my quads actually might have grown the slightest bit if not maintained exactly, biceps maintained, and um, pecs lost the slightest bit of muscle. Like literally it's 2.9 uh, 2.9 millimeters to 2.8 millimeters. Like it's probably not even statistically significant. I did lose a little bit of pressing strength. So like the numbers kind of matched the performance, whereas my hack squat, I didn't lose any strength at all, so on and so forth. Um, but I just feel like there's an unnecessary fear of losing muscle. And I think one reason why that might be or why I may have lost muscle in previous preps and done a better job of preserving muscle this prep is because my training volume was like at an all-time low. Like I'm almost, I'm almost surprised how low my training volume was. Um, there's plenty of sessions where like for legs I would do four working sets of quad work the entire session and people are like mind blown and i'm like yeah i just did two really hard sets of hacks two hard sets of leg extension and like that's all my quads got um so my volume was super super low but i really focused on keeping intensity high and not reducing load on those lifts um even if it meant i was reducing reps i still would keep my top set at that top load so i would have the same magnitude of mechanical tension and then i would get more effective reps or do more total work through my back offset but i tried my best to really keep those top sets um, as heavy as i got them in my off season or right before the prep started uh, sorry, sorry I can... that was a long ramble sorry no, 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 no. it's good i mean with the the training i can really see eye to eye with you on that because on previous preps or at least the last one i did if I was like losing performance on something, I'd just kind of rotate it out and be like, oh yeah, that's just like getting stale. I'll do something else. And then mm. I just go through that and now I'll get like novelty <coughs> gains and I'll learn the movement and kind of ignorance is not bliss in that sense. Whereas this time around, I was really stubborn and just picked lifts that I knew I could for the most part hold on to. And then every session it was about let's meet the last time's performance. Let's meet last time's performance. Yeah. It was almost like being stubborn to hold that. And I think yeah. that really helped me personally. Although at times it was like, it was gut-wrenching. It needs to be though. When you're getting that lean, you've got to work unbelievably hard. Yeah. I remember making a post thinking like, 
man, if I'm able to hold on to like my, like I've lost over 20 pounds and I'm holding on to the same performance. Imagine if I transition with this mentality into my off season, like how, how's that going to go? So Thank yeah, you. my, my volume, I basically like my average volumes as I, I tend to kind of increase set numbers through a mesocycle, my average volumes were way capped. They basically, I, I just kept set numbers the same from the start of the mesocycle. And I was just like, I, I, I the weird thing is, I think once you know, like, it sounds weird to say it, I guess, but once you know, like, quality, what quality work feels like and how to execute it, you mm -hmm. just, I knew I couldn't, even if I wanted to add more, I knew it would just end up being crappy work. And I was like, I'm satisfied that I'm holding on to the numbers that I've got here. I don't know if yeah. you felt that as well, like, where you just knew adding more wouldn't actually help in that scenario. 100%. So I have, a, I have an interesting story that just happened this past week. So I'm in the gym. And there's this 17 year old who wants to work in with me on the hack squat. And he, this dude has insane quad and hand development. And, I'm, and I didn't know he was 17 until I asked him, but he had like muscle of like a 24 year old, right? And like, this dude looks impressive. And he's, I find out he's into the aesthetics and like, he's into bodybuilding and stuff at 17. I'm like, wow, this is really cool. So I'm like, sure, let's work in. I put him through. Like I'm going through my acclimation sets. I get to my top set. I crush it. And he was like, damn, that was, that was like super impressive. And I'm like, all right, you're up next. Like, let's do this. Right. Like, let me push you through a set. So I pushed him through one set of hacks and I still feel like he had more in the tank. Like he had two, three, four more in the tank. If you just like really went there, but he gets off the machine and he's like, that was the hardest set I've ever done in my life. Like on any exercise ever. I'm like, that was an awesome set, man. And I, I tried like letting him know that next week, he, like he can do more than he did today, not because he's like necessarily physically stronger or he's added any muscle tissue in a week, but because he pushed himself to that new level that he's never pushed before, he'll be able to squeeze out one more rep next time because he'll be a little bit more confident under that load. And that made me kind of think about like, how I trained when I was younger and how a lot of people might train as, as intermediates or novices. Sometimes they need to do more sets because they need more practice at lifting. Um, not because they actually need more volume. Um, so this kid did that set. He did that hard set and then he still wanted to do a back off. And I'm like, you can do whatever you want. Like this is the first day we ever met. I'm like, do whatever you want, man. I'm like, I promise you that back offset isn't really going to lead to like a greater stimulus. Like you just took yourself to a new level. If anything, that back offset is just going to lead to more muscle protein breakdown. Like, I feel like he turned his switch on to the, to the <laughs> highest threshold because he took himself to a new level of exertion, but you know, he did the back offset anyway, but I feel like again, you see a, a week. <laughs> I'm sure he was sore for a week. I can't wait to see him next time I see him. But, um, yeah, I just feel like a lot of intermediates, sometimes they feel or they might report to their coach like, hey, I need to do more because their quality is not super high yet. And their skill of executing movements, controlling those eccentrics, intentionally exploding out of the hole in their, their concentrics, like all of those skills aren't really there yet. So they need more volume because they need more practice, not because they need more volume. Yeah. Hey, Pascal here. I just wanted to take the moment to talk about our membership site. Inside, you'll find a thriving forum, an extensive exercise library, courses, presentations, and research reviews. All I need you to do is hit the link in the description below and sign yeah. up. Yeah. No, I, I completely agree. I think, because even when I, when I like to think back to when I would train like, I thought I was pushing really hard and I'm like, part of me is like, I'm sure I was, but how did I do so much? <laughs> like sure. why am I, I can do so little now and I haven't got that much stronger, but I think I've just, you get better at recruiting muscles and at pushing yourself and particularly trying to keep the load where you want it. So you're not yeah. just like using all erectors and glutes on like trying to get your back squats up you're actually just keeping it on the quads and your yeah. quads fail so you fail now whereas before it's like do or die get the load up no matter what yeah. and it's all those things that you learn so that's really cool that that helped you in your in your prep and it's much nicer 
having less to do as well in many ways. I, but yeah. like I said, it was just a case of like auto-regulating it in, in real time. I just, I was similar to you. I have four sets of squats or, or sorry, four sets of quad work. I was yeah. like, I'd be done. Like, whereas yeah. actually post-show now, I'm already noticing that my recoverability is slightly better than that. Cool. Uh, so it's, it's nice to like the kind of the theory meets practice in that sense where when you're in a deficit, you just, you, you can't add as much, even yeah. if you wanted to, it's just not, it's going to turn into junk volume sooner than in a well-fed state, if that makes sense. Sure. And I think it could be beneficial to also have this mentality or this kind of perspective where it's like, okay, while you're prepping, especially if you're like super, uh, if you have multiple years of training under your belt and like you're pretty advanced, like let's focus on maximizing muscle retention rather than growing. Because I feel like when you have the mindset of like, Hey, I want to grow, you automatically have this mindset of, Hey, I need to do more. Um, whereas if you shift the perspective to, Hey, I want to retain everything I have, it's going to come more to like matching your all time best performances rather than necessarily beating it or doing more. Um, and I feel like now that you are transitioning into the improvement season, if your recoverability is better, the goal is, is no longer maintenance. The goal is growth. So it's like, I feel great. I have more in me. Like, let me do another set, whether it's another back off set or let me, I can add one more exercise to this day and, and, you know, hit the muscle from a different angle that maybe overloads, um, the muscle in a different position, whatever it may be. Um, and I feel like that's a perfect way to transition from contest prep to improvement season and improvement season to contest prep. And it seems like you're doing that, like just naturally, intuitively, yeah. right. Instinctively. And I think like you said there, actually, cause I think some people will be like, Oh, but that sounds self-defeatist if you're going to sessions with the mentality of not growing and like going in with a mentality of growing, you're going to work harder. But I think sometimes that can, like you said, it can bite you in the ass because if you think more and go in and you, you I don't know, you add a set because you're like, I'm just going to, I need to, I want to grow and I need to retain muscle. So I'm going to add. And that can quickly lead to your quality coming down because inevitably when you've got more work to do, it's hard to keep that high level of quality, especially when you're dieting. Like yeah. two sets of a big compound lift is like, <laughs> that's, that's hard when you're very lean and you're on not a ton of food. So yeah. yeah, I think that's that's really well stated. So how many shows did you do to reel it back to that? So you had that first kind of uh, show that you weren't super happy with the look and then you yeah. brought a, a way better look in a number of weeks time. Yeah, so I did, um, I guess, four shows in total because it was the Natural Mania in New York, IMBF Natural Mania in New York, uh, NPC Hurricane Bay show, and then the... Um, INBF monster mash on a Saturday and then like the WNBF monster mash on the Sunday. So it was like three events, but four competitions, so to speak. Yeah. Um, and yeah, like going into that NPC show was also a lot of fun. Um, because I didn't have any pressure on myself. I actually, the primary reason I did that NPC show was to run a case study specifically on peak week. So yeah. I'm so excited about this. We can maybe talk about this in a little bit. Um, but yeah, I collected data in the lab with my guys. Um, shout out to Josh Bradshaw, Dr. Walters, my boy, Andrew Barsoon, Dr. Guillermo Escalante, uh, Grant Tinsley is a part of it, and Dr. Scott Stevenson. So super excited about that project. Um, but what I was saying was I, I did that show because it was local and I wanted to collect data on a peak week protocol. And then I'm so happy I did it because I had no expectations. It was a lot of fun. And I got the best stage lighting, stage photos and video from that show. Um, and unfortunately hate my other stage pictures and videos. So um, very grateful that I did that NPC show. It was very well ran and everything like that. And uh, it was a good outcome. So I got to practice my peak and the whole nine. I do really, um, and particularly Pascal wanted us to talk about this, was stage lighting. I think it's probably to people who don't haven't competed or don't know bodybuilding, it's like, why are you talking about like stage lighting? Sure, like, that's a weird thing to talk about. But uh, I was reflecting on the world stage lighting and I was looking over my photos from various competitions and I was like, 
I know for a fact I look my best here, but I look my best in photos by a mile here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I'd love to hear if, yeah, if you can expand on why stage lighting is important uh, and yeah, why, yeah. Yeah, what, why it means so much to competitors, I think. Yeah, it's so important because we work our butt off for competition day. So like, especially, especially going into my first show, I kept my prep under wraps because all that mattered to me was how I looked on show day. And I was happy with how I looked on show day, but I was not happy with how I looked on stage in regards to the photos and the video because the lighting was terrible. So like when you're an athlete that puts so much time and effort into your prep, you want those stage photos to reflect something that you're proud of and that you know that you worked really hard for. Um, it's a real shame when your backstage photos look better than your stage photos or your, your photos from your iPhone taken at home at 7 a.m. look better than a professional's photos on stage. You know, the, the lighting is supposed to enhance your physique. If anything, if anything, stage, la stage lighting should be like half matty lighting where it's like doing you a favor and making you look even better than you are. So when we step on stage and this stage lighting makes us look like not a little bit worse than we are, but like 10 times worse. It's just like, it's so disheartening. Like I literally haven't shared one photo from my, my pro, my pro win or my pro card, like on stage. Like I got the pro photos just like two weeks ago and I just, it's just awful. It's just really bad. Like if you zoom in, you can see like feathered quads, like, like six striations, but the lighting is so bright that everything is smooth. Like you don't even see separation from my bicep brachialis tricep or my rec fem. Like it's just so frustrating. Like I'm, I probably sound so petty, like first world problems, a thousand percent. But like we're saying, we just, we work so hard and some of us don't care to share too much on social media or take um photos under really good gym light or something you kind of want to stay covered up in the gym and you expect that your stage photos do you you know proper uh representation i i completely like your sentiment uh completely i feel it because i think there are competitors who don't know they i don't know they do this on their own they haven't got like a gym partner or a partner who's interested in it or friends and so they maybe take some like they're checking photos for themselves or their coach, but they're not taking any others because they're like on stage is when I'm going to look my best. I'm peaked. I can get yeah. special photos. I have the tan on, Like you should, like you said, you should, those should be the best photos of your yeah. entire prep, but I've seen it so many times. And I have at least uh, maybe half of my shows, the photos from like the gym when I'm super pasty and like I'm under gym lighting and I've got a pump and I'm like, I wasn't peaked. They look better than the stage photos and it's just it's disheartening as a competitor because you're like man like the and especially for you as your pro win this was your pro physique this is the best you've ever looked in your life and then you don't have a memory of that i really either. don't and yeah. it, it, these they're almost they're more important than the trophy itself they are your trophy like the photos yeah. and that memory so i i completely see your sentiment and i also from, from like a judging standpoint if the lighting isn't great i know in person it's a little bit different because you can see and you have eyes so it's a yeah. lot but even if you're trying to judge that i know everyone's under the same lighting same kind of conditions in yeah. that sense but it, it just it doesn't lead to the best uh, kind of outcomes it's, i don't think it's so frustrating man um i literally don't like i didn't take a lot of photos at all um my final show like because i was kind of just over it too like it was my third and fourth show so like it's just like kind of very mentally fatiguing. So I actually wasn't looking at my physique a lot and checking it with myself. And I, I was able it's to kind of just, into that. Yeah. yeah, I was able to just like feel like, okay, I'm, I'm ready. Like, I don't have to even look at it. Like I just, okay, I'm full, I'm hard. Like you could just, once you do it week after week or, you know, season after season, you kind of just know what feels right. So I stopped really looking at myself. I stopped taking photos. I was like, whatever, I'm going to step on stage and, the stage photos will speak for themselves and oh boy, they do not. <laughs> <laughs> or even sometimes I've had it where I have a friend who's taken photos on like their, their camera phone and they're, they're better than the professionals. Yeah. And I'm like, what? 
yeah it's just, it's... they're not good photos but they're better than what uh yeah it's very frustrating like you said it's first world problems but you expect yeah. that as a competitor that they can provide that so i know yeah. for example like the WNBF uk with andrew chappelle and steph noble like their competitors they get it they're by far my best photos was from yeah. their show and it's like it's it's crazy to me because like i can see like every striation in my chest and then i look at some photos from other shows and i'm like man did i fuck up my peak because also yeah that's a yeah. point you might use them for an assessment tool to try and be like okay that's how i looked on stage Ah, oh, i look a bit flat or whatever but it might just be the lighting that just throws it off yeah yeah it's wild but so regardless of the lighting and the photos um did every show, because in the lead up to your final shows, were there kind of the shows before that, did you feel like they were building you up or did, did they kind of, because I had, I had six shows this season. So going into Worlds, like wow. some of them built me up, some of them dragged me down. Uh, mm. So I don't know if they all built you up or you're able to kind of take the kind of silver linings if they, they weren't going how you wanted them to. Yeah, no, they, they definitely, they all built me up a bit. Um so I guess from the the first show, again, I wasn't as sharp as I would like to have been, um, but I still felt like I'd beat my 2017 physique just because I was more muscular. Um, so I was still happy with it. Um, you know, and I'm so glad I didn't win the overall at my first show. I should state that. Um, it was super close. And I genuinely think I would have won the overall if I was fully, fully in. Um but I'm so glad I didn't because it just made me work harder. Um, it gave me that realization of like, Hey, you're close, but you're not there yet, buddy. Um, so I really, I'm like in retrospect, I'm so glad I did not win the overall at the first show. And I only won my weight class. Um, and it's funny too, there were seven people in my weight class and you needed eight for the pro card. So I'm even grateful that we didn't have eight people. You know what I'm saying? So then I did the MPC show and again, zero expectations, but I did really well. Um, I won my bodybuilding middleweight class. There was only four of us, but it was older gentlemen um, that are all enhanced. So it was just a good experience and um, that kind of built up my confidence. And then even in the overall there, even though I didn't win it um, because the criteria is way different in the NPC I genuinely feel like my physique looked best out of everybody up there. Um, when you take into consideration the conditioning, the symmetry and stuff, but they favor like the mass monster. So I, I totally understand. Um, but yeah, it just built me up and it gave me more confidence. And I guess I should just say that um, going into my last show, there was no, like, I felt like a pro. There was no like second guessing, like, am I pro material or whatever? I was like, I'm a pro. I'm going to go there. I'm going to get get what's mine. And then I'll make my pro debut the next day. So it was amazing. Um, for my pro debut, I was expecting to have like maybe six to 10 competitors in my class. And I really wanted to eat some humble pie and kind of just understand like, when you climb into a new rank, you're now at the lowest threshold of that new level. Yeah. So I was expecting something like that, but there was only three of us in the show. Um, so I, I tell people this all the time. I would rather take like third or fifth out of 10 people than first out of, out of three. And some people don't get that, but it's just, <laughs> it's just about getting better and being your best self and like climbing the ladder. So, you know, some people ask like, Oh, why didn't you do worlds if it was just literally like 13 days later? And I was like, cause that was never the vision. Um, that was never the goal. And I didn't want to move the goalpost, you know? Um, I wasn't like chasing, wasn't chasing anything except my best. And I felt like I brought my best and I was happy. And then when I was at worlds, I'm like very glad I didn't do it. Um, a, I was just focused on my clients, but when I looked at the people on stage, I would have been in the bottom 30, like the, the bottom. 33 percentile you know what i'm saying um so yeah i'm very glad i did in two worlds but everything built me up into the um into that monster mash show i guess now thinking about it, it was a stupid question on my behalf because you won both <laughs> your like categories there so of course that's going to build you up and build confidence but having said that 
you you said that i think on your post you're like you'd actually been in overalls before six overalls oh, from what yes. i gathered and hadn't taken any of those which again it's like it, it's one thing because i've only ever won one show um and i didn't win the show sorry i won my category and then i went mm. into an overall and it's one thing winning a class and then being put in an overall and i feel like i was contending at this one show but it's all who turns up on the day yeah but like there's levels to this <laughs> like yeah. there's placing well it's kind of like first level is like placing in your category winning yeah. a category then like getting into an overall challenging an overall maybe you even win some overalls and then you have to try and like get the right conditions to go pro for like, sure there's, there's many levels which i don't think people quite appreciate yeah i i tell like even you know anybody that i work with if it's their first show even if they have an open level physique I always try to convince them to do novice. I'm like, you look amazing. So I'm not, I'm not telling you to do novice because I don't think you're ready for the open. I'm telling you to do novice because this is the only opportunity for you to do novice. And I'm like a very big fan of climbing the ranks and climbing that ladder. Um, so yeah, I highly recommend that. And there, there are different levels to it physically, but also mentally. Um, I was, I think, oh, for six in overalls going into that monster mash. And I actually was more, I felt more pressure in my weight class on that show day. And then once I won the weight class, I was like, there was no doubt in my mind that I was not going to win the overall. So like the, the confidence grew and um, I saw a lot of amazing competitors at worlds. And I felt like something that separates people on stage is not just their physique, but it's their, their perception of self and their level of self-belief. Um, there's some people that have amazing physiques, but they don't realize how good they are. And then when they're on stage, they're, I guess they're kind of just carrying that energy and they don't like, I understand why they didn't win the weight class, but they had the physique to win the weight class. That yeah. makes sense. So there's a certain level of, self-belief that you need to like accumulate over time where some people feel like they have it at a very young age or it's almost like they have so much self-belief it's almost like uh it's almost ignorant but it serves them really well um it's like they think they they're better than they actually are but that yeah. allows them to do well and this is random but i actually you see this in other sports like you see this in mma all the time where there can be like a really young uh, athlete that actually isn't the most skilled, but has an insane amount of self-belief and he steps into the octagon and he does his thing um, compared to someone else who has higher skill level, but not as much self-belief, you know? So anyway, that's, that's a ramble on a totally different topic, but self-belief is, is really interesting. It's yeah. It's also hard because I guess, um, to have self-belief you almost need a reason to have it <laughs> for some yeah. people like for me i'm a very i try and be rational so i'm like for me to have strong self-belief that i'm going to win a show i need to have seen a, like, a reason to think that way yeah. um, although at worlds i did have that that self-belief um but it's funny yeah i have seen competitors who they, they really don't know how good they are and I, yeah. I think sometimes it can be those because they just kind of I don't want to put it the wrong way, but maybe some of them haven't even had to try that hard to to get to that point. So they're just kind of like almost coasting through. And so they get to a point there, like you're really, really good. Yeah. Like when it, whereas someone who's like truly, really tried, I don't know, some, I think they maybe more hold on to that self-belief when they're also quite good. I, I don't know if that made sense. Yeah, yeah, no, I understand. And by the way, man, I I need to give credit where credit's due. And I told you this privately multiple times but you really had some of the best conditioning at worlds by far when you looked at the pro lineup and the amateur lineup i mean your conditioning was spot on like i really i think you told me backstage like oh i think i could be a little sharper and i'm just like <laughs> dude your conditioning is insane and like you also definitely nailed your peak like you looked that. on 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 man so it was really awesome to see and um yeah there was literally no sugarcoating like your conditioning was by far some of the best in the show pros included so kudos to you man it was very very cool to see that 
Hi guys, Steve here. Just wanted to take a moment of your time to remind you of our online coaching service. At Revive Stronger, we pride ourselves on providing personalized service that will take your physique and knowledge to the next level. If you're interested, check the description and sign up. I appreciate that a lot. Yeah, I should have said actually at the start for everyone, we obviously bumped heads at Worlds and that, that was really nice. It was Absolutely. like for me, a weekend of my life I will never forget. <laughs> like being there so and that was partly down to like people like you chris being there and being to, to chat and everything so actually speaking of peak i think people i'd be remiss not to talk about it seeing as yeah. you spoke about it there and you did the case study and obviously yeah. you had several peaks uh, and even actually had you basically a back-to-back -back peak because you had the, the two shows back-to-back -back. um yeah. how did it all go uh did you follow the, the evidence-based peaking papers of the T. Did you have to kind of change some variables? Yeah, um, I tried following our rough outline from that paper to the T, but I kind of couldn't based on how my body was responding. Um, so generally, like for the show being on Saturday, I did follow a carb depletion protocol Saturday, uh, sorry, Sunday through Tuesday, so three consecutive days higher fat, super low carb, um, high protein. And then I tried to fully fill out on just Wednesdays and Thursdays. Um, but I never spilled and I never fully filled out. So Friday couldn't be executed as written in like the, the evidence-based plan. Um, so I just kept eating on Friday as well. Um, I did manipulate water in a similar fashion as we outlined, but I was not nearly as aggressive on pulling back the water intake on Friday. And like each peak was a little different, but it was um, very auto-regulated auto based on on feel and, and my subjective fullness and my look. Um, but yeah, I was super aggressive, man. On like Wednesdays and Thursdays, I was doing um, around 600 grams of carbs for this, that second show of the year, the NPC show. And I didn't spill over. So on Friday, I couldn't really cut my carbs too much and increase my fats and stuff like that. I needed to just kind of keep eating my carbs to continue filling out. Um, but anyway, without getting into those specifics, something I find super cool that I'm really excited to share, um, without giving too much away is this is the first study that kind of measured subcutaneous thickness on a daily basis with an ultrasound machine. So we, we have these images saved. It's super specific. We, we measure it in, in millimeters. And all I'll say is there are significant changes to the subcutaneous layer during peak week. And I'm sure that you have seen this in person with your own physique, but it's something that a lot of people in the community are probably going to be surprised about. Um, so like, for example, like my tricep subcutaneous thickness and my quad, my thigh subcutaneous thickness, like went down a pretty substantial degree. Um, and I would see my tricep feathering is getting nastier and my quad feathering is getting nastier. So it kind of makes sense. But, um, obviously I'm not losing fat. My calories are through the roof. I'm not in a fat loss phase. So that subcutaneous layer, which is primarily composed of your adipocytes, um, my hypothesis is that we're probably losing water from within the adipocyte. So right. it's making the, the skin layer look thinner, not the dermis, but the sub-Q layer look thinner. And if that's thinner, then your muscle is kind of pushing against it more, especially if it's filled with glycogen. And that's why you're seeing striation. So I'm really, really excited to share like these specific numbers and, and put this stuff out there. But there, there are things that are changing on a day-to-day -day basis um, in a very acute fashion. Uh, so yeah, peak week is amazing. I mean, what did you see when you peaked? Did you, did you notice changes like that? So yes, and the thing the thing I was thinking was I'd love it's so it can be really hard to do it, but I was just thinking it'd be so great because obviously I know in the paper you have various protocols to promote diuresis, yeah. um, which is hopefully trying to re I guess reduce that kind of water retention that we don't want. Yeah. But there's also kind of tapering of training, stress reduction, and I'm like, could we run like multiple peaks where we can just use one of these things so we know. Yeah 
which is influencing it the most. Uh, but sure. it's, there's so many variables uh, in sure. week that you can manipulate. So yeah, for me, I, I, I think I told you um, or when you were like, what did you do for this peak? And um, I found personally that just so long as I was kind of lean enough, um, just a, a straight progressive linear load of carbs through the week, um, but quite hard to spill my physique as well. Like I got up to like, I was on 4,000 calories like the last two days leading into the show, like 700 grams of carbs. And it was just like, okay. <laughs> uh, so yeah, yeah that, that, that seemed to work well. I We did try a rapid back load kind of with a cleanup day of like then a fat load. Mm-hmm. Just for me, I just found I like every day, almost my confidence building or at least several days. Uh, I don't think I like a kind of just two, like you're kind of working your ass into the ground and then having like two days to try and reconcile everything. If I, sure. I think for me personally, at least several days of reducing stress and building up food and looking better day to day, that seemed to work really well. So yeah, but I'm excited to see the results and kind of any of the conclusions you can draw from it. Cause I know the, the evidence-based peaking guide is just like a conceptual idea like it's not like you've done a stu- like study exactly. on someone exactly. so it's great to know that you've now kind of got that <laughs> yeah yeah we're working on it man for sure and like i said we couldn't follow everything to the t um but the data is going to be really cool and we're just again trying to like bridge the gap right between our understanding or theoretical constructs and then what actually works in practice what doesn't Obviously, there's so many uh, different individual responses and stuff like that. But as long as we're moving forward and we're getting closer to really good answers, I think that kind of serves everybody well. So um, one thing with the the fat load for me is even those those three days when I'm carb depleting, I still feel really good, um, even though I'm not filling out just because my calories are high. Like I'm I'm definitely at, at maintenance or a little bit above during that fat load in the beginning and um, eating some foods that maybe I haven't had in a while or just higher quantities of it, like more avocado, more egg yolk, more uh, fatty beef or fatty salmon and stuff. So that kind of just feels good. So I feel good during the phase. I agree with that. When I did my fat load, I was like, oh, I get to have like a big pot of nut butter here and (laughs) have two pieces of salmon. It was was not, and I, one of my uh, worries was that it would impact digestion because I was like, having less than 50 grams of fat and I went up to like 140. Yeah. It didn't. It actually sure. didn't. I, it, obviously everyone's different, but, uh, and I kept all my fat sources the same, but didn't, didn't impact digestion. Yeah. Same. I think, you know, you probably spread it across four to six meals and that helps. Um, you're sticking with food sources you're familiar to that helps. But like with me during that phase, like I, I feel like I look drier and drier um, as I'm depleting glycogen. So even though, uh, the carbs aren't filling me out cause I don't have carbs coming in. Um, I still feel like I'm getting crispier every day and that's like mentally Rewarding, exciting. Yeah. And then I'm kind of like, okay, now I'm going to bring the carbs in and I'm going to maintain like this level of th- this level is of crispiness that I see on like Wednesday morning, I should expect to see on show day morning, but I should be full, you know? And yeah, I, just the more experience you have, the funner it gets yeah. and like, you just kind of know what to, to, to feel for, not even look for, but you, there's a certain feeling within the muscle, within the skin that yeah. just feels good. <laughs> it's like when you go to do your pump up sessions, you're like, now I'm actually getting a proper pump and it's maintaining and yeah. you know, you're doing some housework and you're just like, Ooh, <laughs> my, my forearms are like getting all vascular. That's when you know you've got some good glycogen storage and things are going well. Whereas for sure. Yeah, if you don't have that, then it can be troublesome. But that the paper, I think, was fantastic because, like, regardless of the protocol, if someone doesn't necessarily f- follow that, like, I I didn't necessarily follow it, but lots of the surrounding p- points around training, stress management, all of those points were like they're invaluable. They need to be part of every peak, I think, yeah, for yeah. people. So that was really cool to see, and I think yeah, like you're just furthering the bodybuilding little niche field, which is really really cool and. Thanks, uh, it's just, it's always going to be one of those things where you're not going to get tons of like subjects who you could like, just going to let you peak. So I think that's why we do heavily rely on people like Scott Stevenson who have peaked tons of people. And so that anecdotal evidence builds up to a point where it's like, I mean, it's, uh, and you have like the kind of theoretical basis too. It starts becoming quite 
powerful. Yeah, to me, Scott's the goat, man. Like, I call him Daifu. Like, he's like a, <laughs> like a Sifu. He's a master, you know? He's the man. So it's, it's really cool to learn from him. And um, yeah, and something you mentioned about water dropping off, something that that he says and something that we notice is when you are really, really lean, you don't have a lot of body fat at all. You drop that water so much faster. So like, I feel like you, you, you actually urinate more frequently um, when you're leaner. Um, and you're, even if you do hold water acutely, like you can get rid of that pretty darn quick. Um, and something that's interesting with, with me, I mentioned this to you when we were chatting on like WhatsApp or whatever during prep, I would wake up in the middle of the night, all the time to urinate. Like I had to wake up multiple times to pee. And even though I'm just up a few pounds, like I finally can just sleep through the night and I don't have to piss at night. And I'm like, <laughs> what is this? Like, we're just able to hold water for a little bit longer. Like what the heck's going on? But like these really strange things, um, there's a physiological reason for it. We might not understand it all, but it's something that we observe not just with ourselves, but so many competitors kind of notice this, these same kind of things. Um, was that happening with you too? You're, you're urinating throughout the night. Yeah. Um, cause I've spoken to Greg Potter. If you know, Greg Potter at all, he's PhD in sleep. He's coming on the podcast yes. a lot. And, uh, I've asked him about this before and he, he had, they, there is no, he doesn't have like a solid like this is exactly why yeah probably related to stress it seems maybe oh, okay so you like wake up and i don't i don't know um but even now i like reflecting on what you're saying like it's nice to be able to go for a like hour walk outside and not have to like worry <laughs> i need to find a toilet like a couple of times sure. on this walk uh, yeah. but even in the night yeah it's like definitely it, it was much worse in previous years and i would say that was related to stress at least that's what i'm okay. thinking the causation correlation where like i'd wake up like six times at peak yeah. in my previous preps whereas okay. this time was like three and now okay. i'm at like two maybe one okay. on a good night and sure. hopefully i'll have some time in the off season where it's like sleeping through but that's kind of rare yeah. for me anyway <laughs> okay yeah i'm literally sleeping like seven hours through basically that's epic so that's, that's nice that's yeah. unreal yeah, that's cool. Um, so I wanted to talk a bit about your off season, but we probably don't have quite enough time. But what I want to leave the listeners with as well is you have a timeline for when you're next looking to compete, don't you? Yes and no. Uh, nothing set in stone. Um, to me, it's three to five years. Um, and again, I, I need to know that I'm competing again, for sure. It just that that carrot can be dangling yeah. even if it's super far away it just helps um but i'm not going to rush it um definitely want the itch to be there in a sense even though the itch wasn't super high this year i just kind of felt like i had to prep this year like i had i had to prove to myself a few things um so yeah i'll i'll definitely compete in the future i just don't know exactly when want to focus on family stuff hopefully start a family soon and um you already got the dog? Got the dog, yeah. He's He's been a life changer, man. Um, got my best bud, so he's been super cool. But yeah, just going to focus on on work, research, um, and then I will definitely be hitting the stage. I think a maximum of five years, but maybe a bit sooner than that. What about you? Uh, so minimum two years. Okay. So the soonest I could ever think about it. I just, I think 2023 for me is like, that's too soon. 24 okay. would be the soonest, 25 sure. the latest though. Cool. Because I, I have found competing has just given me an extra love for it. Yes. And so I don't want to leave it too long. But like you said, and the reason and I know previously, like you haven't been that person to compete like every couple of years, you give yourself time to yeah. improve. And I know if I want to come back, I, I want to be challenging to see if I can go pro. And I know to do that i need to have plenty of time to build so yeah i can't rush that you absolutely can and you will man like you definitely Appreciate will that. no you definitely will man i'm excited to see it Appreciate i'm excited to see it and it, next time i do compete i want to actually compete in the uk uh just because awesome like we were you know we we had a 10 minute conversation on lighting <laughs> so yeah. i will go i will go <laughs> to the WMBF uk if need be um, so I can get good, good shots. Um, I'm willing to kind of travel and, uh, create life experiences yes. within bodybuilding and not just have it be about show day. Um, so yeah, I'm looking forward to that. That's awesome. 
And if yeah. guys want to kind of reach out to you, um, like over on Instagram and your website, yeah. where should they head? Sure. So on Instagram, just my full name, it's at Christopher.Barricat. And then for anything related to educational resources or coaching services and stuff like that, check out my website. It's schoolofgains.com. Gains is with a Z. And uh, I'm really excited actually about some things we have for 2022. We're finally going to have some online courses um, where we kind of plan on creating lectures and modules and then having like for the first um, body of students that kind of enroll, we'll have like um, a live class once a week where we can go through Q&A or review that material on that specific topic, that specific niche. And then have that live, you know, Q and A or one one hour class, so to speak. Um, so yeah, I'm looking forward to 2022. A lot of a lot of cool things coming. You've got all that prep energy now to put into it, so that that's yeah. awesome. Uh, yeah. I'll make sure that's all linked below, so you guys can check that out. Thanks. And we'll talk to you soon. Take care. So I'm Steve Hall, founder of Revive Stronger and a coach of Revive Stronger. My name is Pascal Flor. I'm the co-owner of Revive Stronger and also a coach, of course. Revive Stronger has probably been going solidly for three years, probably roughly about three years. Revive Stronger, to me, it is becoming kind of my child, my foster child. It's the gathering and getting together of like-minded people. We've been expanding the coaching team, which is helping us help more people. Uh, but each coach can only help a certain number of people. Right now, it's all over the place. We have YouTube, we have Facebook, we have Instagram, but there isn't that community aspect behind that. And so the next step for us is developing a membership site. So basically, we want to create a family and a community that is then benefiting from another. A really cool community for people within our little niche is going to be a website. They will get early access to our podcast. You can access us, ask us questions, the community aspect. We have a forum there. You can ask questions, but also you can you can lock your journey. There's also going to be courses on there, courses, presentations on different topics. Discount of past seminar footage. We will log our journey as well. We'll start vlogging. We're gonna have documentaries, our entire athletic journey. Furthermore, they get access to an exercise video library. The exercises that we love for hypertrophy and maximizing hypertrophy, we're gonna go through those in depth, telling you how to execute them. We cap them concise and also mobile friendly so that you can watch them in between your sets. I'm super excited to grow this community. The amount of value that we're going to be delivering is huge. And I'd love you to be part of it. You will get so much out of that. I'll see you inside.